Creating your own reality. Is it possible for me? I am Jennifer Cahill, the Consciousness Architect, and I am here to tell you that it's not only possible, it's closer than you might think. Welcome to the show. Hello, friends, and thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Regarding Consciousness. I am deeply grateful to our mutual friend of today's guest, Altair, who had joined us probably about six or eight months ago on the show and introduced me to the beautiful soul who you're going to get to meet in today's episode. Suki Gokal is an incredible human being. I actually got to hug her in person in London a few months ago. She was conceived to a mother from India and a father from Pakistan in Iraq, where the family had a heritage of 100 years. Suki believes that she is the proof of love. With the backdrop of turbulence and yet blessed with a comfortable life, the journey of duality, courage, and forbearance became Suki's crest and led her to eventually embark on her own personal journey of self-discovery after enduring many challenges during a colorful life. After working in luxury for some years, Suki developed the belief that the highest form of luxury is the education of our inner peace. Our mental, spiritual, and emotional evolution is fundamental to a happy and peaceful journey for us and especially for our children. Garden of Aden, which we will be talking about today, and I highly recommend checking out on any podcast channels, iTunes, I've listened to the whole thing, was born in 2012 to celebrate the birth of Suki's son, Aiden. It is Suki's expression of her studies in psychology and all of the various schools of thought that exist among our cultures and religions. Garden of Aden is based upon universal values that all may agree upon, and I do totally concur with this as I was listening and enjoying Garden of Aden, spelled A-Y-D-E-N. I really resonated with everything Suki said. Suki believes that the Garden of Aden platform is invaluable and priceless, so hence no cost may be attached to it. It seeks to empower the individual and give them the tools they need to manage the challenges that inevitably appear along life's journey. As a graduate of the Institute of La Rosie, she is a British national who has lived and worked in Geneva, London, Paris, Tehran, Hong Kong, and Dubai. She maintains a global perspective in her approach to work aided by knowledge of eight languages, and she personally works with individuals and families to empower their journey. Suki, I am so grateful to Altair for connecting us and finding a soul sister and being able to connect with you. So thank you for coming here and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. It's really a pleasure to be here and an honor. Thank you, Suki. Share with us a little bit about your background. You are obviously really well studied in psychology and spirituality for anybody who listens to the Garden of Aden series that you so graciously made free for everyone on iTunes and other podcast channels. What was it that was the catalyst for your spiritual journey? I think, Jennifer, that I was always on a spiritual journey and having been born in Pakistan and yet raised in Switzerland and the UK, and then having lived in Iran and in Hong Kong and different countries, I feel that I think the boarding school was a very big catalyst because we were all of different cultures together. And it's a school that was created out of a rebellion, out of cultural submission. And it's a beautiful heritage. And I'm the representative of the school for the UAE. So I think that having been among different peers of 
all different types of cultures, seeing the reluctance in the world to actually find unity um, led me to, I think, develop something that was simple, which is very complex to do, I think, um, simple in order to actually tie a thread of unity for everybody together. Um, and I think that each one's mindset starts with their own narratives of their own indoctrination. And the minute that we can actually step away from that, we're able to find complementarianism rather than contradiction. Mm. So <clears throat> I think that the most important part of the journey was the birth of my son, which led to me developing Garden of Eden. I was gifted late in life, and I said I would love him to have an education that is simple and seamless in order to live to the highest and best. And I think that the Enter the Garden program, what it does is it actually untangles and allows the unlearning to tickle the intuition and allow it to awaken into synchronicity. And it's done very gently, unveiling layer by layer in order to animate the anima, the soul, and to really find that awakening to something very gentle and peaceful. I remember when we had first connected, gosh, six or eight months ago when Altair had introduced us, when I started listening to Garden of Aden and Aiden, sorry, the wrong pronunciation there. And one of the things that I loved about it is these little five to seven minute bites of information. Because sometimes it can feel so overwhelming, right? We're going from A to B and we have all these things in our lives. And yet it's this beautiful, peaceful snapshot of peace that you can just plug into in your day. And that's, I love the way that you designed it that way. Thank you so much. I, I really do believe that the most important part, we've already got it in Arabic now, and we've had actually a lot of listeners in Arabic, and we haven't advertised anything ever in Garden of Eden. We've left it to be organic, the process, and we wish to have it in every language in order to tie that thread of unity, because really anybody sitting in a village, sitting anywhere could actually understand it and unlearn and untangle the pieces to allow for uh, tolerance and respecting boundaries and respecting each one's perspective, knowing that we don't always have to be right in anything that we think because we're also unique and individual. And we need to start celebrating that uniqueness. On the word of tolerance, I think that's an interesting choice of words right now, given how challenged many people are around the world. What are some ways that maybe you teach in the garden or in other aspects of your life, your clients, what are some ways that we can learn to embrace and to channel tolerance? I think one needs to have a very bird's eye view perspective to understand the situation that's very complex at the moment, because each one is in their own wanting to be right, whereas actually nobody's wrong and everybody has a perspective. And if they, if one develops that little bit of compassion to see it from a different perspective, one realizes that we're all one person, we're all the same soul, and we're all equal in the eyes of universe. These fights and these struggles that are going on at the moment are unjust, they are unfair, and each one's agenda is questionable, and there are people who suffer as a result. However, each one's culture should not be a reason to defend one or the other if we're looking at humanity as a whole. And that's where I think it, there's, there needs to develop this understanding and this education of how one should think things rather than going with fundamentals, right? 
I was just going to share a friend of mine, Don Hoffman, who we've had on the show many times and is a brilliant scientist who wrote the book, The Case Against Reality, Why Evolution Hid the Truth from Our Eyes. He just did an interview that went viral with Jordan Peterson. And one of my favorite quotes from the interview is exactly what you just said. He said, my best guess, this is Don speaking, is I and you are in fact the one consciousness just looking at itself through different avatars. And when Don said that, I was like, wow, <laughs> that makes so much sense because we're it. Jordan Peterson had said something so beautiful and profound in the interview. He said, imagine if there was a God, right? And God is omnipotent, omniscient, omni-everything, right? All things everywhere all at once. What's the only thing that's missing for God? Limitation. And so what mm. human beings are the expression of having limited perspectives to try out every single perspective of whatever it could look like to grow up, be whoever or whatever you might want to be in the world. I just thought that was a beautiful analogy. One of the beautiful analogies that I heard was that God is like an elephant in a dark room. And one person goes in and touches the trunk, one touches the belly, one touches the foot, one touches the tusk. <clears throat> and everyone is right. Mm -hmm. And it's all of it. Universe and God is all of that. I love that, Sufi. Thank you so much. I had never actually heard that before. And I think that's a beautiful way to come out tolerance. I think that when we become entrenched and quite literally trapped by our own point of view, then there's no freedom. And yet we look at the world and we blame the world for impeding and inhibiting our freedom, where what if our impediment is actually ourselves and our unwillingness to let go of a certain perspective. It's when we drop the resistance, I've been sharing this with a lot of clients and friends lately, there's Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, which I love and adore. Yeah, one of my favorites, too. One of my favorites. I love that book. And at the end of the book, Victor talked about logotherapy, which he developed, and something called paradoxical thinking. And somebody just a day or so ago was asking me, why does this work? So I'll tell you what he gives the example in the book. He says, imagine I had this patient who was sweating profusely and was mortified because everywhere he went, he had buckets of sweat just coming off of him, right? And so he was embarrassed to go out in public. So he told his client, the next time you go out in public, instead of saying, I don't want to sweat, I don't want to sweat, i.e. resistance, he said, yeah. I want you to say, I hope I sweat so much that somebody has to follow me around with a mop in a bucket because there's a river of sweat. Whew, the client never sweat again. I have been using that technique every day now for about three months to help me with sleeping because the other thing Victor touched on is how powerful this is for insomnia. For me, my whole life was ridiculed with 2 a.m. wake-ups. Oh my God, oh my God, I have a meeting at 8, I have to be up. And I've been switching it. And so now every time I get up at 2 a.m., 5 a.m., whatever, and I need to go back to sleep, I just say, I hope I never go to bed again. I hope I stay up for the next seven hours. <laughs> I hope I stay up for the next three weeks straight. And boom, I fall right back asleep. And so much in the same way, as we become attached to our perspectives, we become attached to our resistance of the thing. The moment we drop the resistance and embrace the thing and almost even exaggerate it, then you have more freedom and power. Absolutely. And we actually only hurt ourselves with our ignorance and our assumptions. We don't hurt anybody else. And that's a big realization, I think, that is necessary to realize that by staying closed-minded or one-track, one-sided, one loses so much perspective, one loses so much ability to actually embrace and 
honor other people. Because end of the day, we are all human beings and we're all living the same journey. We all have a heart, a mind, a soul, and a body. And we all deserve to be empowered in who we are and how we are. And those cultural nuances need to be embraced, not resisted. And I really do hope that we're able to get the Enter the Garden program spread widely because I believe piece by piece, very gently, it unlocks the different layers and the different veils to enable people to see things from a very different eye. Mm -hmm. And after the Enter the Garden, we've launched the Looking at the Eye with a Deeper Eye, which actually embraces how we view relationships and how we view each other. And where instead of seeing people's differences as differences, you see them as complementary to each other so that we can reinforce each other and help each other. And I think that the tolerance is required on all levels and all people, not only necessarily the ones who seem to be doing wrong, but the ones who seem to be the abused as well, the attacked. Everybody needs to change their perspective to understand the narrative of where everyone comes from and having a little bit more insight rather than just a clear eye view. And I think people are too quick. They're too quick to judge. They're too quick to imagine what they think is true to be the reality, whereas actually it's the furthest thing from. There has to be empathy all around as to each one's motivations, why they do the things they do as well. I so wholeheartedly agree with this. I'm going to tell one on myself right now. So growing up, because I didn't know at the time I was on the spectrum, neurodiverse, whatever you'd like to call it. And growing up, I often said, Suki, the wrong thing, or I did the wrong thing. And I would hurt people's feelings, or I would ostracize. So to this day, as an adult 42-year-old woman, I sometimes struggle with that. When I make a new friend, I'm afraid that I said or did the wrong thing. And something like that happened with a new friend of mine who I'd met in Croatia this year. I was at a business event. There were several hundred of us from around the world. And I really looked up to this woman. She was a speaker who had just IPO'd her company for a billion dollars. And she and I hit it off. I said, oh, I'm looking for more women mentors and advisors. Would you consider that? Yes, Jennifer, I'd love it. So she and I had this beautiful conversation. We connected deeply throughout the whole five days we were there. And then I never heard from her again. Now, my ego mind, just like you said, <laughs> it went into, oh, God, I did that thing again. That thing where I said the thing that offended somebody or hurt somebody's feelings. So fast forward about a week or so ago, I get a text from her. Hey, Jen, I would love to hop on a call. And I was like, oh, okay, it's great to hear from you. So we hop on a call. And she shares with me, actually, I had given a talk while I was on this island about neurodiversity and how it impacted my life and human connections. And she said, Jen, I actually realized I was neurodiverse out of that. And she said, I actually went into a hole. And I have been transforming. Oh, wow. Happiest I've ever been now. I've lost 30, 40 pounds. I've changed my whole life. And I said, I want to tell you something. Remember how we were talking about like neurodiversity and stuff? I said, I made up this whole story that you hated me and that I did something to horrifically offend you. And then she started crying and I started crying. She said, Jen, that's been the story of my life is I don't know how to cultivate friendships. And I didn't know it. And so we're, it turned into this whole thing. But to your point, it was like my ego mind had hallucinated that she didn't like me and this and that. We're erstwhile, like we're soul sisters and I helped her with her life. And now it's just so beautiful how sometimes we think something is a certain way and it could be anything. And yet if we got curious, if we didn't assume worst intentions, 
it turns out most of us have pretty good intentions. <laughs> Absolutely correct. Absolutely right. And one should be generous in one's impressions of other people and their intentions. And I think we start, yeah, we start young even with teaching children that your friend is passing you in the corridor and he doesn't say hello to you. And what do you think? You think, oh, he doesn't like me anymore. And you say, maybe there's another perspective and maybe there was something happening at home. Even with bullying, um, I inside in that school one day, this kid came and took his protein bar from his bag. And he said, I said, Baba, maybe he's got issues. Maybe he's, he's being bullied. Maybe he's not happy at home. So you have to have compassion for him rather than attack or rather than feel bad. So if one just turns the lens around, when you know that anything anyone says speaks about them and not about you, it changes the whole perspective, right? So here's the question, Suki, in everyone's mind. I hear yes and but. What about the people who are real jerks? What about those? <laughs> so how do we cultivate it? Because it's the yes, what about the people who are the jerks? And how do we shift our consciousness? Because we're human beings who have our emotions that we're tied up in. So how, what is your recommendation on how to handle it? My recommendation is that one really has to look at one's own self-worth. Because if you're comfortable in your skin, you will no longer take anything personally that anyone does. And you will have empathy for the bullies and the people who are real jerks. And you'll wonder what happened to them when they were small that made them be like that. Because anything literally that anyone says speaks about them, not about you. So that means that when someone's criticizing you or critiquing you, you have to look at the why and where they're coming from and empathize. If we were to actually have that benefit of the doubt that we give to everybody, our world would be a very peaceful place. And we can allow people to be who they are. We can maintain our boundaries. We can detach from those we don't want to associate with, but allow people to be who they are. Mm. Um, I think that there's a big element to this that I'm being called to mention, and that's the idea of pausing or creating space before we react or respond. Because... In my experience, I made this mistake the other day. I just hired a new assistant and he's doing great, by the way. It's been amazing. It was quick aside. We have this algorithm we use to match people, OctiMatch. And I threw caution into the wind, Suki, and I put my money where my mouth was and hired my own assistant using our algorithm. I said, listen, I don't want to see any oh. I want you to just have your top three people with these skills answer our matching mm -hmm. question choose someone. So we went through this. I didn't know if it was man, woman, didn't know where they were, how old they were. It turned out it was a man. And he started working with me. And I remember it was like day two or three of working together. And he said, Jennifer, I'm so sorry. I can't log in. Like the login, it's not working. And I'm getting frustrated. It's like day one or two. And I'm like, oh, come on, buddy. It's like right there. And, and then we hop on the call and we're on the call together. And I'm like, see, it's just right. And then I realized I had made the mistake. I had given him the wrong login. <laughs> and long story short, he's doing amazing now and just so grateful to have him on the team. But so often we point the finger, you did it wrong, or we react, or we just pause, we reflect, we get curious. Oh, I wonder why this might be happening whether it could be any circumstance in our life, that then creates a spaciousness for something new to occur rather than that collapse space that has us react to one another. And remaining humble. Yes. And <laughs> realize, the realization that the people who work for us can only be as good as we are. Mm -hmm. And taking that accountability upon ourselves. And if we've hired people, then we are the ones responsible, responsibility, the ability to respond appropriately in every situation. 
allowing people the space. So if you ask someone to do something, to make sure that we can do it ourselves first, right? Such beautiful wisdom. So Snooki, what is one of your favorite teaching, teachings from Garden of Eden? If you leave no choice but elegance, it will rain. Oh, say more about that. If we decide to take an approach of elegance, which is very much needed in the world right now, it doesn't allow for anything other than elegance to be the result. So if it starts from us and our accountability, the way that we handle any situation, and we are certain that we are coming from our highest and best, the situation has to evolve into goodness. And that's the accountability, I think, for each one of us all across the world to actually remove any resistance to tolerance, remove any resistance to allowing ourselves to perceive things from the other person's perspective. Mm. Because to allow unity, there has to be a desire for it all around. And that starts from the top, right? Mm. Yeah, and if the desire were really there, then it would happen. But I can definitely see where that's true. In fact, I was on a call yesterday with a group I'm a part of called the Unitive Narrative. It's a group of evolutionary leaders, scientists, thought leaders from around the world who basically crafted this manifesto, if you want to call it that, or mm -hmm. uh, underpinning, suggesting if we were going to create unitive justice, unitive economics, unitive education, what would that look like? And it's interesting because something that's unitive, one person's unity might not be another person's unity. So what does unity look like? We almost have to redefine and be so exacting of what do we mean with what we're saying and how can we make this equally accessible to all people? The Enter the Garden program doesn't contradict any religion, any culture, any narrative. We had a thousand people go through it before we launched it online during COVID. And it really does untangle those pieces where it does come down to tolerance at the end of the day and being able to respect another person's perspective, which is quite crazy if you think about it. It's quite simple, the elements required for people to be aligned. Yeah, it's alignment is such a big deal. That's what we analyze in our OptiMatch algorithm is most often the reason we see friction, even me, honestly, Suki, I spend a lot of time in prayer and meditation and reflection, much like you probably every day. And yet we don't even need to if my motivating factors and your motivating factors are not aligned. It creates friction. So there's two then questions. Do you only hang out with people who have you have aligned motivating factors with or work with them? Maybe. Or what you do is you learn how to cultivate compassion and understanding and sensitivity for people whose motivating factors are maybe mismatched with yours. And I think that's probably one of the biggest breakdowns. Like I went through this experience when we were creating this platform to test our algorithm two years ago. We had 100 therapists and coaches on the platform who I personally interviewed into a session with everyone. But you can imagine out of 100 people, I'm not going to be aligned with every single one of them. A lot of them I was. This one woman, Suki, we get on there. I don't have her data, so I have no, nothing to base it upon. There's no confirmation bias. And when we got on the call, it was like nails on a chalkboard. She's a beautiful human being. I'd known her outside of it. When we tried to do this therapeutic session together, I couldn't even hear her. My biases were so strong, but I didn't even know what they were. All I knew is whatever this one was saying, it was infuriating me, honestly. And I'm sitting there smiling <laughs> as a business owner. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. 
So what was triggering was the way she was going about it. So this is what we figured out is I didn't know it at the time. So two days later, she winds up answering our matching questions. And it turned out, Suki, she and I had double the amount of variability that's tolerable in most human beings when it comes to motivating. Oh, wow. Not in one category, not in two, but in three of the four categories we measure. And so it was a really good illustration to me of my own blind spot, right? As much as we pray and meditate, as much as we think, oh, I'm a humble, peaceful human being who tries to do the better good, we're still humans. And there's still always that that person or that situation that's going to trigger you. And how can we get curious and dance with that rather than allow ourselves to get shut down or to shut down another person? I think that's where the tolerance comes in. I think the curiosity to discover each human being in their own elements is such an important part, not to actually preconceive or prejudge when you see somebody, right? I think that's probably the most important part. And where are we coming from? Are we coming from a place of wanting to be right? Are we coming from a place of trying to prove ourselves? Are we coming from a place of wanting to learn about another human being? And that makes a big difference. So I think the removing of the ego or the smashing of the ego is a very big part of the journey. (laughs) Because if one is coming from the ego perspective, one wants to be right or one wants to prove oneself or one wants to be liked or validated. If one is coming from a place of empty, just curious and open-minded, we learn so much and we see the beauty. I love it. All of us, all of us are such a beautiful combination of complexity and so many different pieces within each of us. And we only see the tip of the iceberg, right? I completely wholeheartedly agree, Suki. What are your closing thoughts? What would you love to leave our listeners and our audience with today? Any messages of anything that perhaps I didn't get to ask you or a salient point that you want to re-emphasize? I think What I'd like to say, it's quite simple, is that the garden is there. I'm looking out at the garden as I say that, the bougainvilles. The garden is there for everybody. And it's a choice as to whether we go and smell the flowers and touch the petals and the leaves, or we don't. And we all have the possibility to heal. We all have the possibility to grow. And we have the possibility to find that unity and that peace that we seek. And it's a choice. And the choice is ours. The biggest freedom I think we've been given is that freedom of choice. And it comes with heavy responsibility to each of us. And we're all accountable. So I hope that I hope that the anyone who does decide to listen to the enter the garden finds some joy and some beauty in it as much as I did in creating it. Oh, thank you, Suki. And where should people go for Enter the Garden? Do they just put it in on iTunes? What's the best way for people to connect to it? So the website is still behind the curtain because we're working out all the languages and the, the challenges of putting all the languages. But I will send you the link for Behind the Curtain, which is gardenofiden.com slash home. And you're behind the curtain. I have no issue with people going behind the curtain. And the podcasts are on Spotify. They're on Apple Podcasts. They put in Enter the Garden. They can listen to it in Arabic as well and looking at the eye. So I will send you all the links for you to have them anyway. Thank you, Suki. It is a pleasure, a privilege, and an honor to call you a friend. I'm so grateful that Altair brought us together. And I invite each and every one of us, see if you can open your receptivity this coming week, this coming month, this coming year. See if you can perhaps try to see something from an angle or perspective that you've never tried before. I remember once, probably five or 10 years ago, I was at a program with uh, thought leaders and it was all about wisdom. How do we connect to deeper wisdom? And one of my favorite exercises that they gave us 
is to physically shift your perspective. There was an exercise where for 45 minutes, we were encouraged to crawl on the floor of whatever room we were in and to only engage with everything from that perspective. So whatever it is, whether it's brushing your teeth with a different hand, crawling Mm. on the floor, see if there's something you can do to make yourself uncomfortable and shift your perspective, increase your tolerance. I am Jennifer K. Yes. (laughs) I am Jennifer K. Hill, the CEO of OptiMatch. And did you have anything you wanted to add there, Suki? I just wanted to say that one needs to make that effort to awaken the viscerality, to bring in the synchronicity, to unlock all of those beautiful parts of life that we don't see. Thank you, Suki. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you here and wishing each and every one of you more tolerance, more empathy, and may you receive it in return. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Regarding Consciousness with Jennifer K. Hill. We would love it if you would take a moment and write a review for us or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And if you'd like to stay in touch and find out about upcoming events with some of the amazing guests we've had on the show, like Deepak Chopra and other world thought leaders, feel free to join my email list at metabizics, M-E-T-A-B-I-Z-I-C-S dot com. Again, that's metabizics.com. And you can go ahead and join our email list there. Thanks so much. And we look forward to having you join us next week.